Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I am Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley, and this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who has somehow never seen The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of The X-Files spoiler-free. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 18, Teso Dos Bichos. It originally aired March 8th, 1996. It was written by John Shiban and directed by Kim Manners. And I looked up what Teso Dos Bichos means, and it cannot be accurate. What I got was, I have two bugs. Yeah, two bugs. Oh, so that was, okay. That's also what I found. Good job, Google Translate, I guess. Oh, yeah, I have a bit about it in a little while. I have two bugs. Great. So the synopsis is, when a Sakona Indian burial urn is removed from the Ecuadorian highlands, a series of unexplained deaths follows three weeks later. Mulder investigates the case with Scully and soon comes to the conclusion that the deaths were caused by a curse of the jaguar spirit. At this point, I think we should point out that the Sakona Indians, not a real thing. So the culture around the Sakona Indians, completely made up. I don't know. I would not say, I do not have enough information to say any of that, so you're on your own there. I know that the Sakona Indians are not real, so anything that they say the Sakona Indians do is not real. So I've got some fun trivia. Fun Kim Manners trivia, number one. This episode is almost universally hated (laughs) by cast and crew. Wow. Particularly by director Kim Manners, who had two disdainful nicknames for it. One of them being Queso Dos Bitches. Wow, that's creative. Yes. We have some recurring cast members in this episode. Tom Macbeth as Dr. Luton, previously played scientist in the X-Files episode Space, and Detective Gwen in Three. I knew I recognized him, but I wasn't sure if it was from the show or just because he's been in like one episode of everything. We have Ron Suave as Tim Decker. He previously played Ray in the X-Files episode The Host. Okay. And Alan Robertson played Carl Roosevelt, Dr. Roosevelt, previously played Charles in the X-Files episode, Fire. Mm. Okay. So I know this doesn't take place in Ecuador, but it made me wonder, what jurisdiction does the FBI have in Ecuador? So I went to FBI.gov and found this beautiful tagline on their site that said, Crime and terror have a global reach, and so do we. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Just like, wow. They do have legal attache offices to help protect our nation. And other nations. They're called legates. That covers Ecuador is in Bogota, Colombia. It covers Colombia, Ecuador, and Venezuela. And do you want to know the four tenets of why we have these FBI legates across the world? Well, please. According to the FBI. One is relationship building. Since FBI agents do not have traditional law enforcement powers overseas, I love that it's like superpowers, they must rely on strong, mutually beneficial relationships with their foreign counterparts. Physical proximity, allowing the FBI to respond more quickly and effectively to terrorist attacks, cybercrime, fugitive sightings, crisis situations, natural disasters, and other global security matters. Wonderful. Training and the rule of law. 
The FBI provides foreign law enforcement officers with skills in both basic and advanced investigative techniques and principles that promote cooperation and aid in the collection of evidence. These efforts help create more capable and democratic police institutions <laughs> around the world, strengthening the global rule of law. Oh, the global rule of law. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And finally, detection and prevention. By keeping their fingers on the pulse of criminal activity, national security threats, and emerging trends in the nations and regions they serve, legal attaches function as an early warning system to help keep crime and terrorism from reaching our shores. Beautiful. This is so much marketing jargon. This reminds me of a joke that's often told in other nations' intelligence communities. Do you know why there's never been a successful coup in America? Why? There's no U.S. Embassy there. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> All right, fun Kim Manners trivia number two. The script of this episode was revised an unusually high number of times. Kim Manners' other nickname for the episode, Second Salmon, is a reference to this. Every time an episode was rewritten, the color of the script changed accordingly. Teso dos bichos went through so many rewrites that the cast ended up with two salmon-colored copies. Wow. Amazing. This is like the third one that's been hastily rewritten yeah. this season. Yeah. That's usually a bad sign for a show. Usually, you're on your way out the door at that point. And we know that we have six seasons oh my gosh. after this of just the original run. Right. What do you think was going on? I don't know. Something not good, though. Something behind the scenes is... Do you think messed up? Chris Carter was too focused on the um, oh, Millennium. This is the season that he did Millennium. Right? No, I think it's next season. But do you? But think he's, he's writing. Prepping? Uh yeah. I bet you're right. I bet that's it. He's not paying attention to his show because he's paying attention to his other show. Yeah. That sounds familiar to me. A yeah. fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> this is all speculation. I haven't read anything that that's the case, but. Based on the little nuggets and bits of trivia that I've picked up along the way, that's that's what I'm thinking is, is happening here. Mm -hmm. All right, now we get into it. The episode opens in an um, archaeological dig in the Ecuadorian highlands, indicating it will be a doozy of cultural appropriation. In fact, production note. After the episode aired, the network found out that bichos also means balls in Colombia and Venezuela. Apparently, John Siobhan, nor anyone else, knew that while he wrote this episode. Google Translate says it means bugs, but further research proves bichos is vulgar in many countries. Awesome. Amazing. Just awesome. I love it. <laughs> Some of the excavators unearth an urn called an amaru with the skeleton inside. They alert the doctors to the discovery, and Dr. Bilak explains that they cannot take it with them. He explains that to Dr. Roosevelt. It's sacred, but Dr. Roosevelt actually says, I thought you understood and could handle these people. And I wrote down at that exact point in time, gee, I wonder if Roosevelt's going to be okay. Oh, I wrote, I, for one, am looking forward to his death here in the open. <laughs> <laughs> Later that night, after Dr. Roosevelt has ordered the Amaru to be packed and prepped to take with them against everybody's wishes except his own. Let's put a pin in that statement. <laughs> the shaman distributes yahe, also known as the vine of the soul, to the villagers and Dr. Bilak. 
in a ceremony that Dr. Roosevelt ignores, which seems fascinating to me, but I guess he's an archaeologist and not an anthropologist, so he doesn't actually care what people are doing today. He only cares about what they did thousands of years ago. Hundreds or thousands. I don't know what the dating is on on this uh, specific Amaru. But then we see that we see Dr. Roosevelt being murdered by the Jaguar spirit. It was a nice silhouette scene. It was. Production note, Yahe, or ayahuasca, is an actual hallucinogenic drug. Oh, this is ayahuasca. Traditionally used by South American Indians. The visionary experiences often feature animals, with large cats being common. Yahe is a kind of drink made from a psychoactive jungle vine and is used in shamanic healing rituals where people have visions, supposedly in order to be able to diagnose diseases, etc. The drink is mixed with other herbs and is a hallucinogen. Now we go to Boston. Mulder and Scully begin investigating the disappearance of Dr. Roosevelt after a security guard at the Boston Museum of History discovers a large amount of blood in the archaeology lab. Which is uncommon. You don't usually get blood in a dusty, dusty archaeology lab. (laughs) Just so much blood. Just blood literally everywhere. They interview both the museum curator, Dr. Luton, and Mona Wustner. Mona is a PhD student, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mona explains that Dr. Belak either resigned or was forced out after the trip. The trip that included Roosevelt's disappearance and the quote-unquote rescuing of the Amaru. She tells them Belak was the liaison between the Sakona Indians, and apparently Dr. Belak feels the Sakona have the right to determine the fate of their ancestral remains. Alright, so they end up like basically framing perfectly the urn of the Amaru, Yep. at which point I have some questions. Okay. Did they wait and kill him after everything got packed up and shipped out, why? Why would they wait that long? Be Who's they? They, the excavators, who did the ritual. Why would they wait until after it was dug up and shipped out? I don't know. He seemed to be murdered on the site during that ceremony. Yeah, he was. Why did they wait to do the ceremony after the thing got packed up and shipped out? Is that what you think happened? The, it has to be what happened. He was in the tent. At the, the site in Ecuador. Yeah. When the Jaguar shows up. Yes. But that thing got packed up and shipped out. And nobody else would have done it besides Roosevelt. Right. So they had to have waited until after he did that. But that doesn't make any sense because he would have gone back at the same time as the urn. No, he shipped it out and he was staying to do more excavating. Anyway, you do it, it doesn't make any sense because how did this thing get packed up and shipped out? I don't know. Because nobody else was going to do it. Roosevelt wasn't going to do the work. And... Why would they sit around and wait for the thing to happen that they don't want to happen? I don't know. So that the episode can happen, I guess. So I need you to get all the way off my back about the logistics. Oh, okay, I'll do that. But, so whose blood is that? Whose blood is in the museum? Yeah. It's the doctor that we never met. Uh, Hastings? Oh, yeah. I didn't write anything about Hastings. Yeah, we never met that guy. That's why I didn't write anything. They do talk about him, I forgot. Okay. We just met all his blood. (laughs) Yeah, right. All right. Yeah, weird. Belak uh, thinks that indigenous people have the right to their own artifacts. What a novel fucking idea that is. That's not what archaeology is all about, David. My bad. <laughs> I'm so unscientific. Um, a quick production note here. Mona Wusner is named after the writer John Siobhan's mother. How lovely. Yep. Even though everybody hated this episode, I still think it's a nice... <laughs> it's a nice little element. I bet it was probably... Well, I don't know if it was any good at the beginning, but... 
They probably didn't suck as bad. Yeah, hard to tell. When he decided to write her name into it. Right. Or at least he didn't think so. Right. Um, they also, they being Mulder and Scully, visit Dr. Belak, where Scully is wildly problematic, and Mulder is maybe sarcastic, maybe not. Who can tell? She says, uh, how far would you go to protect the rights of those people? Like, holy shit, Scully. <laughs> the rights of those people. She didn't say those people, but she it was, how far would you go to protect the rights of other people? Uh, Scully, what's your job? What are you supposed to be doing here? Oh, not protecting the rights of other people? Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Ooh. We have a, a moderately left-leaning person here in Dr. Belak. He's not radical in no. any sense of the word. And she's like, fuck this guy. But drugs! There are no drugs yet. Not yet. So, it's not even about drugs. It's, yeah. a, it's about the fact that this guy has slightly left-leaning views. So Scully hates him. <laughs> or it's because he's not white. I don't know. This show is so problematic, I can't tell anymore. Uh, I can't tell what the primary problem is versus secondary problems. I'm starting to think that Dana Scully voted for Donald Trump. Ew. Gross. You think Chris Carter did? (laughs) I do not know anything about that guy. So do you think Chris Carter is just the right-wing imbecile he's coming across as now that we're looking back at his work? Or do you think he's one of those Hollywood liberals who thinks he's actually doing the right thing while he's doing absolutely nothing? That's exactly it. Hmm. That's exactly what I think. Hollywood liberal is is what basically the show screams at me. <laughs> All right. Back at the museum, Dr. Luton eavesdrops on Mona's call to Dr. Belak. Then he gifts us with all kinds of colonialist symbology... And heads out after Mona says she's staying late and is fine alone. Oh, the mental gymnastics these people do to justify to themselves, no, we are saving these artifacts from the barbarians that hold them currently. Well, actually, he does say it's petrol. There's a um, an oil company coming through to drill, blah, 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 as if... They're going to run a pipeline. As if that's not also what we're doing constantly. And probably funded by the United States, if yeah. we're being honest. I don't have Ecuadorial, Ecuadorial? I don't have Ecuadorian politics in my brain. So I don't know if they're a socialist country and the, the natural resources are nationalized or if they're just a Chevron. I'm just going to say it's probably Chevron because in the end, isn't it capitalism all along? Not necessarily in South America. South America has quite a few socialist countries. Name two. Venezuela. All right. And now that I think about it, maybe Ecuador. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? We're just talking about stuff we don't know about. I have a fair amount of Venezuelan knowledge in my brain right now. And Brazilian. In a misdirect, once Luton has left, the door behind Mona creaks open. And we get to meet Sugar, the dog roaming the, the warehouse. Is Sugar their rat catcher? Makes sense. Because they can't, the, it can't be a cat as a rat catcher, which would actually make more sense because the cat probably wouldn't bother any of the artifacts. Except for anything sitting on a pedestal. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems interesting to have a whole dog running around a warehouse full of unwrapped, exposed to the air <laughs> artifacts. Whatever. In the next scene, we see Dr. Luton killed, ironically. Because he's killed by the jaguar spirit in his jaguar car. It's a nice scene where the hood closes and they do a close-up of the hood ornament. It was a good shot. I appreciated it. 
The next day, uh, they're investigating the crime scene, and Scully comes across rat corpses in the engine compartment of Dr. Luton's car. Scully asks Mona about strange or bizarre occurrences in the Museum of Natural History, in which Mona replies that nothing out of the ordinary has occurred. Meanwhile, Mulder and a group of Boston's finest are searching for Dr. Luton's remains. Uh, when Scully joins Mulder after telling a guy to bag a rat body, which is pretty funny. How do I label it? <laughs> Partial rat body part. <laughs> she sees blood drip on Mulder's face from above, and upon looking up, they see Dr. Luton's small intestine hanging from a tree. And this is where I think it was just a shot-by-shot situation but you thought that Mulder had lipstick on his collar the first time i watched this i was like he's got lipstick on his collar and then they never really address it so i was like okay whatever <laughs> later at the lab scully is about to perform an autopsy on dr luton's intestine although i think she already has performed the autopsy i'm not really sure what she's gonna do she's already decided she's already done it and she's just telling Mulder about it but then they're just sitting there because she's telling yeah but how did she autopsy the Ew, gross. That's repulsive. That's how you do it. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yeah, it is. Why wouldn't you just cut it just open? Squeeze one in and go... No. Gross. Disgusting. You and everybody who eats sausages are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, she receives a call from Mona. Oh, you gotta say what he had in his intestines first. I can't, now that you've... You've replicated or you've pantomimed squeezing out all of the juices from the inside. You go ahead. All of the juices and all of the sunflower seeds. Yeah. I told you sunflower seeds would be back. Mm -hmm. Somebody was going to remember. John Shaban listens to the show. <laughs> Weird. Mona suddenly calls and Scully answers. Mona says that Belak is under the influence of Yahe. But what she actually says is that he scared her. She was afraid he was going to hurt her. So let's discuss that scene. So before this, it was after Dr. Luton was found, or not found. He wasn't found. They just found his intestines. So after Do Dr. Luton was attacked, I guess, and disappeared, Mona decides to go over to Belak's apartment or house to tell him. She wanted to tell him in person. Fine. She shows up. Belak is sweaty. So that means... Typically in the show, he's, he's the, the bad, bad guy. guy. That's when Mona discovers that he's been drinking Yahe. She grabs the bowl that it's in and says, she's, you, whatever, whatever she says. And then she's, it's like she's going to go throw it in the fire. And now that I know that this is just ayahuasca, she needs to chill out. Everybody, this is the 90s. Everybody's like, war on drugs, war on drugs. I thought this was some imaginary drug that they were doing. No. She needs to quit being such a square. <laughs> well, anyway, what actually happens is, so she finds out that he's taking that. He's obviously high right now. He's tripping. He's so sweaty. <laughs> what she needs to do if she's going to be a good friend is get him some goddamn water. Yeah. So we uh, addendum to the rule. If you're super sweaty, you're either the bad guy <laughs> or you're just tripping. You might be tripping. And people should just fucking relax. People should just get you a bottle of water and be like, take small sips. Yeah. I want you to drink this whole thing slowly. Here's, okay? a, here's a hand towel. Wipe your face. <laughs> but she grabs it, and he grabs it back, and that is the extent of... His violence. His, right, him trying to hurt her. And he just says, get out of here! <laughs> right. He doesn't even scream very loud. No. He's just sweaty and wants to be left alone with his drugs. 
Who can't relate to that? Get him a glass of water and fuck off, Mona. (laughs) After the call, Mona is back at the museum. Um, I guess she was at the museum when she made the phone call, but after she visited, she went to the museum. It looks like she's about to dig the skull out of the urn? Yes. I don't know why. I don't remember why. I don't know if it's even important. I think it's because she thinks that the skull has to do with why Belak is acting the way he's acting. Or she's just doing her job at the museum. Yeah, I don't... She's not critically thinking about any of this. Yeah. I'm just going to keep doing my job. Yeah. Either way, that's that's what... She's messing with the... Which would explain what happens to her next. Yeah. She's... If she is going to mess with the skull. Right. That makes sense. So she's doing her job or, or whatever. She's messing with things she shouldn't be messing with. And she hears some noises. She walks down the hall with Sugar. Uh, she hears the noises are coming from the women's bathroom. And ignoring the very powerful and protective warnings of Sugar's growling. <laughs> powerful. powerful. Yes. She goes inside to investigate. And this whole time I'm like, I'm like, Teso des bitches. <laughs> Pay attention to Sugar. Sugar is warning you. That's funny. I used uh, one of the same words you did. <laughs> I, I said, uh, run, bitch, go get some help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. But no, she goes in anyway. Inside, she sees the toilet lids because for some reason in this museum, all of the toilets have lids, which is just an extra level of bullshit that the janitorial staff has to clean and deal with. I've never seen a public toilet that has lids on everything like that. No, every now and then there's a lid on top of a public toilet and I'm like, what is happening here? What is wrong with your people? (laughs) Who has done this? Which now that I'm thinking about it, the toilet probably came, the the top part of it probably came off. So they just went to Home Depot, got a replacement and put (laughs) it on there. So that would actually make sense. Well, really (laughs) what they needed was a way to get the Rats to make noise in the... <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> the things were distracted by the most. <laughs> so, the toilet lids are jumping. Mona leans over, opens the lid, and there's a bunch of rats forcing their way out of the toilet. These rats look terrified and it hurts my heart. Oh. I hate this. You and Willard. Who's Willard? Willard from the rat movie. What's the rat movie? It's a movie with all the rats. I don't have... And Willard. (laughs) Great. There's two of them. They did a remake in like 05 or something with Crispin Glover, who's very good at being creepy. It's all true, I promise. (laughs) Is the movie called Willard? Yes. Oh. And and Crispin Glover's character is called Willard. Crispin Glover is the scary guy who also is sad about rats? He has lots of rats. Rats are his buddies. Rats are great. Rats are not great. Rats are great. What has a rat ever done to you? I don't know if I've ever seen a rat in person. No, I saw rats in person the first time I ever got high. I saw a bunch of rats. Oh, well, that's probably a hallucination. I don't think marijuana makes you hallucinate. All the time. You watched The Boys with me. That guy oh, had auditory hallucinations that's constantly. Right. I forgot. TV and movies tell me that <laughs> marijuana makes you marijuana hallucinate. Marijuana and alcohol makes you hallucinate oh, yeah. wildly. Where did you see a bunch of rats? Where were you getting high? At Denny's. You're getting high in a Denny's? Got high and then went to Denny's. And Denny's was infested with rats? The, we were. We had a window seat and uh, out in the bushes there was just a bunch of rats. Oh yeah. They're just outside doing their rat thing. And that was just me giggling my ass off going, there's a bunch of rats out there. <laughs> <laughs> rats are fine. Rats are just doing their rat business. 
Shout out to the Denny's in West Lafayette, Indiana. <laughs> Mulder goes to the museum to find Mona. Scully goes to Dr. Belak's house to also find Mona or whatever, where she finds the Yahe and some writings. She believes that Dr. Belak has been high and praying to the Amaru. She calls Mulder and fills him in, but he sees a pool of watery blood from under the bathroom door and tells her he has to go. And she says, did you find Mona? And he says, I hope not. Reasonable. Yeah. Mulder goes into the women's bathroom to investigate where he hears sounds. Oh, we also see slash blood slashed slash marks all over the... So much blood. There's just blood everywhere. And that's where he hears sounds. He finds Dr. Belak sweaty and crying beside one of the toilets. When Mulder asks, where is she? Belak replies, she is dead. But he doesn't know where she's at. He just says she's dead. I think he can probably tell by the amount of blood that's all over the place. Just blood everywhere. Elsewhere in the museum, Belak escapes from the room in which he's being held. Even though there was a guard at the door and that was the only way in or out. Mulder asks about rats and everyone agrees there are rats here. That's true. It's just, it's There's just lots a thing. Of rats. It's just rats. No big deal. Just rats. And I honestly feel like that would be the general vibe after a while. You're like, yeah, there's rats here because there's just rats here. It's a giant warehouse <laughs> with rats. <laughs> <laughs> so when they're interrogating Belak together and Scully is just going full, you know, I hate this guy because he has different political views than I do. Mulder just walks out, you know, like he does. Just, uh, <laughs> bailing on his partner. <laughs> expecting something else i'm like all right i'm not reacting to that because that's standard uh and he goes into the bathroom where all the water is and he starts oh, yeah wondering you know why all the water is around and scully's you know toilets are overflowing so he decides to check and he starts opening all of the toilet lids with just his bare ass hands use your shoe you psycho what the hell this that is the most disgusting thing this show has ever done Ever. The intestines in the trees, blood dripping on Mulder's face, way better than this. This is so gross. Ugh. Ugh. And then from there, they go to an autopsy room where they autopsy the dog because they found the dog dead. I was going to skip that part. Ah, because the dog ate a cat that ate a rat that ate poison. We just have the world's worst turducken. I'm going to edit in some fake laughter there because <laughs> that deserved better. I, had, I was about to ask if you're going to put it in a laugh track. I am going to do that. <laughs> wow. And Mulder waxes poetic about rats. We have rats here. We have rats everywhere. And how you said, uh, everybody's like, yeah, man, there's rats. But I like Mulder's new thing that he's saying, apparently. Go with it, Scully. <laughs> Has he said it before? No, he said it twice in this episode, okay. though. So apparently that's his new thing. Just go with it, Scully. And it's a nice way of saying, just, you know, think about it for a second. The things that we know are true, explore that. Go with it, Scully. You don't have to go to Jaguar Spirit, but these rats are definitely a little too involved. I don't know. I mean, there's just rats. They're everywhere. You sound like those people. <laughs> Do I? Yeah. The people who are like, yeah. Rats are everywhere. There's a bunch of rats. <laughs> <laughs> They're around. Yeah. Those people. I'm, I'm part of that group. Yeah, that group. That's the problematic group I'm a part of. The, yep, rats are around. <laughs> rats, rats, rats stuff. Rats and things. Rats. Rats, man. <laughs> it's, just, it's just 
rats, all caps, and then just a shrug emoji. (laughs) (laughs) That's our flag. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, in the room that Belak has escaped, even though he couldn't have, he didn't go out the front door, the only door. Mulder notices a large drag mark through the dust on the floor, leading to a large, I mean, a strange hatch in the wall under a table. Mulder asks where the entrance leads, and the museum security guard says it leads to the old steam tunnels. There are thousands of miles of tunnels beneath the continental U.S. Many have no known purpose (laughs) at all. (laughs) Wow. That should be like some text in front of a movie sometimes <laughs> right yeah. it's creepy yeah, isn't it it's super it's really, it's really it's super creepy it's really scary to think about Mulder and scully enter the manhole and Mulder jokingly says ladies first upon which scully just shakes her head like hell no that was a good moment it was it was good underground they walk through the tunnels and corridors finding various rats but not an uncanny number of rats just like the normal <laughs> underground rats rats shrug <laughs> Now, I've heard from multiple sources how Mulder and Scully's flashlights are basically characters as well. This is the first episode I really thought that that might be a thing. They're definitely doing some good flashlight work. Explain. I mean, there's not really anything to explain. I've just heard from various sources that Mulder and Scully and their flashlights. Look at the cover of the book. It's even referenced there. Look at that. These are some good flashlights. Yeah, way better than the ones they actually have. Eventually, while they're walking through the tunnels and following rats, they find the bodies of the missing and presumed dead people, including Mona's, and a multitude of cats. First, they find one cat. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) there's a rat shrug. Also, there would be a stray cat here. (laughs) Scully actually says, do you think the cat killed those people? I think she was being sarcastic, but it wasn't super delivered that way. It wasn't. (laughs) Mulder had that one comment earlier in the episode where you weren't sure if he was sarcastic or not. Too. Right. <laughs> that's that's why I was like, it's a it's a regular sized cat. In case people don't know, because before we did see the shadow of the jaguar, and we know that there's a jaguar spirit. It would make sense that this was a joke, but the delivery, Jillian Anderson usually delivers lines and you're just like, Mwah, love it. No <laughs> notes. Amazing. Print. Done. But this one, I was like, did she mean that? Does she actually think this one house cat <laughs> murdered these people and dragged them down here? Well, she's about to find out. Well, for that dumb line, she gets attacked by an orange <laughs> tabby. Weirdly, this triggers all of the strays of Boston to descend into the tunnel. Just all of them. It's just a flood of tabbies. I think they were all already there. Because they, they, they were under the... Yeah, they started attacking because it's a let the right one in scenario. How does that? The, all of... Cats attacked that lady who was oh, a vampire. Right. <laughs> I was like, what? All of the vampires attacked? No. No. All, all of, the cats. All of the cats attacked. That was a rad scene. So maybe Dana Scully's a vampire. Probably. That Have would you explain ever seen why, her in the daytime? That explains why she never dies. Yep. It explains why she likes to be in Vancouver with the cloudy sky. Uh-huh. Yeah. No direct sun. Have you ever seen Dana Scully... Indirect sunlight. (laughs) Right. Have you ever seen her sunbathed in her backyard? Mm. (laughs) In an attempt to escape, Mulder and Scully find the hole that a rat came through earlier and Belak's body, mutilated and bloodied like all the others. 
So I guess he didn't do it? Guess not. I guess Dana Scully should have apologized to his body before she just threw it on the floor. (laughs) It's just another white person just not having any respect for the dead. Or just people of color. Or that, yes. Yeah. Not sure about her. Production note, Jillian Anderson is very allergic to cats. Oh, no. So makeup effects artist... Toby Lindala had to create a cat puppet with rabbit fur that attacks Scully. Oh, I sure as hell saw a few puppets. And I disagree, Toby. Oh. You could have made that puppet out of literally not fur. (laughs) Could (laughs) have. But he didn't. Nope. (laughs) It didn't look good enough to require it to be actual fur. (laughs) Or real enough, I guess, is the right word. Not good. Throw a stuffed animal at her. (laughs) Yes. As the two agents make their way out, the cats throw themselves against the door and burst through the hole before Mulder closes the lid. Such a wild scene. I have never seen cats behave this way. They shred a door with their claws. Yeah. A full door. Mm -hmm. What are the things that goes in a doorway that stops things from going through it? Got shredded by cat claws. Yep. Are you terrified now looking at our Uh, (laughs) sleep felines? What is this episode? (laughs) Now, if this had been realistic, they would have all rushed to the door as soon as it closed. Yeah, just because it was a closed door. (laughs) Because they're like, God damn it, a closed door! How dare you? You hear hundreds of paws just hitting it. The episode closes with Mulder suspecting that the animal attacks were associated with the Sakona Indian burial urn that had been unburied and removed against the wishes of the shaman and his clan, which, you know, is how it also started. It is shortly returned to the burial grounds where the Sakona shaman watches the urn's reburial with his jaguar-like eyes. Is that what they were? I wasn't sure if they were jaguar-like eyes or scorpion-like eyes, because something was supposed to have scorpion eyes. Here? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. If they spent this whole episode talking about rats, and then at the very end it was supposed to be scorpion eyes. Well, it's a scorpion eyed, cat clawed something that jumps out of the tree. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, that's it. The cats escape. The. Um, they the say that they find no sign that the cats were ever there, including the shredded door. <laughs> Did they take that with them? Yes. They're like, oh, shit, evidence. Jesus. But we saw them. Both of us saw all of the cats. And Scully has claw marks all over her face. There was at least one feline around. Uh, When Mulder tells Scully that the Amaru urn is going to go back to Ecuador, she looks so bummed. Mm -hmm. She's so disappointed because there's just a little bit of racial justice happening. It was a weird moment. It's, yeah. <laughs> what is going on with Dana Scully? I don't know. You're going to have to write a book about what is going on with Dana Scully. <laughs> Who are you shipping? I am shipping all indigenous peoples and their important artifacts. That's, that's good. I am shipping Chris Carter and Associates with some education on why, why cultural appropriation is harmful. I don't even know this is appropriation. It's just in wild insensitivity. Yeah. Because they're not really appropriating. They're just kind of using it. That, yeah. Using it to tell a story that they wanted and not doing any 
of the homework that's necessary to properly tell the story. Oh, it's like all of Stephen King and his using female trauma to fuel his stories. I don't know if he does. I don't know what homework does. I don't. I'm not looking into it either. <laughs> nope. I'm just real mad about that stupid movie we watched last night. Yeah. Well, how are you surviving? I'm listening to the dog. Listen to the dog, yo. I am surviving by not colonizing anything. <laughs> Even though I wrote down not colonialize. <laughs> Switched it up at the last minute to be not colonize. Yeah, but we've already done a lot of that and we're benefiting from it. Look, I fully accept that I am currently just the nature of my being is benefiting from colonization. But I am not an active participant in colonizing anything. That's why I'm just just listening to the damn dog. Oh, dog. Gra- dog growl? Don't go that way? Great. You want to, like, go home now? I think we're done. I think we're done for the day. (laughs) Don't eat that cat. Dog growling? Time to fuck off? Okay. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles, that's the with two e's, at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things, artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a tea Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Atuka Art. That's O-O-K-A-R-T. 